You're listening to The After Session with Philip Lewis. I'm a therapist based in Washington, D.C., and I hope to provide my perspective on work done throughout the therapeutic process. Thanks for listening. Welcome to The After Session. Thank, Thank you. For being here. Thank I really you. appreciate it. No, I appreciate this. Today, I am very excited. Um, <laughs> well, we're going to go back because our, our uh, producer messed up a little mm. bit we thought we were recording right. and it wasn't but there was a candid <laughs> moment that i just have to brag about i had said welcome to the after session and thank you for being here and they're like oh i like that name or something and it just made me really excited because today i have two young folks in, in the building who are also podcasters um and i'm excited because we got some young folks in the building um young lyric and deja <sighs> Music sounds like a rap name, right? I'm about to start my rap career. I've been telling people. It started here. It started here. Um, and you also uh, host a podcast called um, Grown, right? Yeah. Spelled G R W N. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about it. Go, Lee. <laughs> um. So basically, this is the idea that me and Deja had. Me and Deja have really like deep conversations. Okay. And I don't know when we, I don't know. I talk to her like I don't talk to anybody else, I guess you would say. So like we would just be talking about random stuff and then we just get into deep conversations. So we were like, well, we have so much to say. People need to hear it. And so then we were up until like, we were in Jaden's room for like a couple hours. Like it was like, we were in there for like 2, 3 a.m. And we were trying to figure out a name. And then I believe Deja, it sparked Deja's interest. She was like, and then she wrote it out. Honestly, I can't remember how I came up with the name. Cause I like to do, I like to be original with stuff. Okay. Yeah. So when I was looking for a name, I was trying to look for something that wasn't already like out there. Mm-hmm. And I honestly don't know how I thought about the grown and the spelling. Mm-hmm. Um, one other person knows it, but that's better than like <laughs> 10 other thousand, like 10,000, 100,000 people having the same name. So yeah. And then we came up with it. And then Deja is like our, she's like the creativity behind it. And I do everything else. Cause I'm not very creative. She just feels like Soon it will. Okay. It, can. <laughs> it can. I was thinking of acronyms actually because I was talking about starting a because I always want to do a nonprofit and so we also wanted to use the same name. So it's like the Grown Project is what we would call it. So it could be a nonprofit for girls and boys or just girls. Not really sure yet, but it's like it's still in the making. It's still the so, blueprint. So what does the podcast Grown mean to you? Um, to me, for me, it just is like a way of like getting my voice out there. Um, I used to have like a really hard time trying to kind of find ways to input myself into like different topics of conversation. Um, Cause I'm always like, I don't know what to say. Maybe I'm too scared to say it. You know, I don't want people to be like, what? Like, look at you crazy. So I feel like the grown podcast is like me lyric space to kind of say whatever we want to say and not have the fear of like judgment when it comes to it. So, like, for me, it's, like, a sense of, like, safety that we created yeah. for each other. I would I would say the same, but I don't know. For me, I, growing up, people always told me I talked too much, and I didn't really like my voice, like, when I heard myself talk. So I was like, I don't really like it. I don't really like it. So I didn't really talk as much. But then, I don't know. This is kind of like me healing my inner child with me just, like, just talking freely and no one telling me. Because Deja, she never tells me I talk too much. Well, maybe sometimes, but never on the podcast. <laughs> but it's just like a way of me just speak freely to someone who actually just wants to engage in conversation with me and who wants to hear me talk to. For hours. For hours. For hours. Ever and ever. So, so I know, yeah. and I hate to be a um, 
what do you call it, toxic men. Right? <laughs> so, so, so I know for a fact that it's just hard for black women in general to have spaces, safe spaces to communicate, mm-hmm. to converse, to express themselves, to be free, to just be. Yeah. <laughs> um, but how much of that is like real, tangible, limited spaces? And how much is that like a concept of ourself when we're putting ourselves in the box? Because I'm hearing, I don't like my voice or I kind of don't want to, or I'm not sure, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I heard a little bit earlier, Deja, you were saying um, you were afraid of what people might say mm-hmm. or think, you know? And for me to th- be afraid of what someone might say or think, um, sometimes that fear is based in a belief I hold about myself. Mm-hmm. And if I'm holding a belief about myself and someone in the tangible world now confirms or denies that, that gives me an emotion, right? Mm-hmm. It leaves me feeling a certain way about myself or my self-concept. So in your journeys to the podcasting and to self-expression and opening up, how much is it kind of a self-worth, self-image thing? And how much is it really the world saying black women don't deserve spaces to have voices? So you need to create your own space. I would kind of say like the tangible world kind of influences okay. like that space for me, like in regards to like self-worth. Because like you said, there's a lot of like stigmas and opinions about black women and how they should like live life or whatnot. Um I would say a little bit of the tangible world, but then most of it is like the self-worth part. Okay. I would agree. I feel like, hmm, I do feel like it's a mixture of both, I guess, but a little bit more on the self-worth side because sometimes, I don't know, because so, it's like when you're having a conversation with someone and then like you just start talking and they, you're just venting to them, but then they're just looking at you and they're listening, but you're like, oh my God, I'm talking too much. Let me just be quiet. Let me do this. Let me do that. But then it's like, it's not really like, I don't know. I think it's like kind of like a, inward thing but so then i feel like the outward world also like affects that a lot too. so you police yourself first and then the outworld outward world kind of heightens yeah the policing but it's yeah, yeah. and it's also an overthinking thing i overthink everything okay so i'm just ah. <laughs> thank you for being open <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and this is also weird being on like the opposite end of like being asked questions because yeah. we ask the questions mm-hmm. i'm sitting i'm like, like i got nothing to say <laughs> <laughs> i'm like dang what if i don't know the answer I'm like, I'm sitting here, I'm like, they look. <laughs> um, what have you learned about yourselves in this process? Uh, she's looking at me. I'll go. Okay. <laughs> um, so far throughout this process, um, one thing that I have learned, I would have to say my... I guess my ability to like stay focused and organized because like doing the podcast it gives me something to focus on Mm because like my life is very hectic okay Okay. full-time grad student I now work full-time have internship I do a lot Mm -hmm. but I feel like the podcast is like a kind of like a part of my self-care so it's like something that I could sit focus on and like tune out like the outside world um so I definitely would say it gives me a sense of it definitely holds me accountable Lyric also holds me accountable (laughs) Um, just balanced accountability. I feel like I'm getting better with communication. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to get my point across without you know policing myself. Okay. And yeah, I would say those are the top three things. Thank you. Um, for me, I think even though I did say I overthink a lot, I think it challenges me to think more about what I say out my mouth mm-hmm. because 
we're <clears throat> releasing like these episodes and stuff like to the world you know anyone can listen to it mm-hmm. so it just reminds me like okay like kind of like watch what you say even though we're like very like raw and unfiltered but it also it kind of just like I don't know. It makes me think a lot because sometimes I'm just, I have like diary of the mouth and I just feel like talk, 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 talk without thinking first. But then it takes me a moment to like, oh, let me write down a couple questions. Let me write down these thoughts. Let me think about this. Let me think about that. Um, but I think it also, this is kind of maybe going off a little bit, but it made me realize like how attached I am to like people because when we have these deep conversations, especially when we talk about like love and stuff, they just don't like talking about love, but <laughs> when we talk about love and stuff like that, it realized how it made me realize how attached I get to people or just things in general situations. Mm-hmm. And so as through our conversation, it's kind of been like very healing for me because it's like, oh well, when I say something and then Deja might say something that we probably didn't because Deja I'm I'm always, I'm the planner person, so I always have to make sure I have everything written down. Deja's just like, we're just gonna go with the flow. And then she'll say something that triggers me and I'm like, Oh, I didn't even think about it like that. So she kind of like counters that and she helps me heal through that too. Okay. Thank yeah. you. You said something a bit in that um, where you're saying you overanalyze things and you have to write things down and kind of question yourself. How do you distinguish whether that process is really being analytical and challenging myself to grow in a certain way or feeding into the tangible world? that says I need to police myself or I need to not have such a boisterous communication style or, or express myself or be as expressive. How do you distinguish between the two? Uh, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) No, because when you was talking, I was like, when you said, I was like, Oh, well, actually, it might be tangible (laughs) because it's okay. No, yeah, for sure. I just think that I just, I don't know. I think, Okay, I think this goes back to that whole canceling situation that we had talked about before. Okay. Uh, I was canceled before. So I think when I write stuff down, I feel like I have to have some type of structure. And like in my mind, I'm like, okay, I have to say this. I have to say this. I have to ask this question, ask this right question. And then Google it. Is this the right question to ask someone who's went through this? You know what I mean? So it's like, I think it's more like the outside world that I try to like, Ooh. even though I, I'll be, uh, <laughs> I really be trying to like help you when it comes to stuff like that because she will be like oh I have to write down these questions and I'm like we honestly the conversation could go any way because yeah. we literally just talk like when we talk I don't think about like other people it's just like a regular conversation that me and her have mm-hmm. but on her end it's, it's like the planning and the I get scared I don't know I just I, I be like I don't know man what if I say something wrong and then I'm like now we gotta scrap the whole podcast we gotta start over again I don't know I, I have that I have that like worry over. I'm just putting no, it she on. knows it. <laughs> <laughs> I just think I have that worry so where's the line in the sand where do we allow ourselves to be authentic or where do we let the concept of who we are, the image that we want to present to people take over. I feel like, I mean, once I write everything down and then I try to go off of it, sometimes Deja weeds me away from it. And then we just start having just like regular like conversation, like not scripted or not any questions written down or anything like that. So I think throughout the conversations, they get more, they're like more natural, I guess mm-hmm. you say. Even the conversations are natural, but I don't know. I just, I think eventually, but I'm trying to, it's like I'm slowly getting there. Because like, we did one episode, didn't record a sing, didn't write down a single thing. I was very nervous. Mm-hmm. I was like, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> but it was trying to be really good. I really liked it. Good. So, good. Yeah. I always say, because I'm a therapist, I don't know right. if, if he told you that. Um, 
Some of the things we do, even though we don't know we're creating a habit and a behavior, will have a ripple effect on the rest of our lives. So I always say, like, we have to practice how we want to live, right? Even in the small things. So if I'm being hypervigilant or hypercorrective to myself or policing, and I think I'm just doing it in these certain spaces, it will create a habit somewhere. And then I always say, are you a collateral person when I first meet people? A collateral person meaning can't be that, can't be this, can't be this statistic, can't appear this way. So now I'm showing up in the world as someone who is conditional or collateral to all the experiences or all of the things that people say I should or shouldn't be and not my authentic self. And a lot of times people wake up and don't even realize that they have gotten there until it's too late. Like, I'm a fraud. Not I'm a fraud, but like I've been living what I thought was correctly this whole time, um, trying to be, you know, what is considered a good black man or a good woman or good father, good whatever it is, and forgot to actually live according to how I feel. It's so crazy you say that because it made me think about, um, I'm also in school for art therapy, um, but I also have a therapist. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell people therapists also need therapists. Right. Um, and I actually had a conversation with a therapist before in regards to feeling like a fraud, mm-hmm. just because I don't feel like, I didn't feel like at that moment I was meeting the expectations of others. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I want to live this certain kind of life, but then I'm also identified as this type of person. So it's like, how can I like merge the two together? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had a whole conversation. She was like, do you really feel like a fraud? Or is that just something that you're saying to make yourself feel better? Mm-hmm. And it kind of put into like perspective of having to really figure out what it is and what I want and how I want to live my life and like the things I want to do and just live life like carefree. Um, So definitely just spark conversation discussion within myself that really was eye opening because that whole fraud thing is real, especially in social media. Mm -hmm. Young people these days. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, thank you, thank you. Self-image, some would describe as like how we currently see ourselves, right? And our ideal self would be what we hope to be or what we see for ourselves in the future or what we're trying to be. How much does the ideal of self impact your self-image currently? <laughs> Let me give you an example. Yeah, please. My ideal self is so unobtainable, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, at least um, for me now it is, right? My ideal self is um, the Greek god body, like those statues that are chiseled. Um, always happy, um, eating right, eating clean, like having my my uh, my um, garden that I only eat from in the back that I grow. You know, if someone comes to me with a problem, I always have a solution. Smiles are on my face all the time. You know, no worries, financially stable. Um, I have this complete image of myself that I know, unless I really drastically (laughs) change my life, it's not gonna happen. That image, that ideal I have of myself does sometimes impact my self-image in a positive or negative way. Some mornings I get up and I'm ready to move towards that ideal, so I present myself in a way that would be eating cleaner, going to the gym more than twice a week, you know, doing all of these things, trying to be a resource or or mentor or whatever to other people. And sometimes I wake up and it makes me depressed because 
that guy is just like so far away from the guy that I am right now. And then that impacts my self-image now. And I might wear the same clothes for three days in a row and not get out of bed or whatever it is or go into some depressive state. So I think our ideal self can impact the image we hold now or the image we present to the world. Um, so does that example make sense? It does. And while you were talking, it definitely, I, I now have an answer. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <I'm just> <laughs> <laughs> So my ideal self, um, I do have like this person that I know I want to be. Mm -hmm. No, it's hard to reach that person. Um, and it kind of affects me in a more negative than positive way because I get um, overly attached to the idea of the person that I want to become mm, that I put myself attached. in like overdrive. Right. Yeah, I would say overly attached because I often find myself in these periods of being like overdriven mm. and I'll like just like keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going without like taking any breaks because like my life is hectic and but I know I have this end goal. So it's like I'm doing all this stuff that I know I need to do. And it's like I want to get it done now so I can reach that person. But it's always not in like the most healthiest way. Because mm. um, sometimes I do realize like, oh, I need to take breaks. or I need to, you know, start doing stuff that makes me feel better. Because I do sometimes feel like I get into these like depressive moments mm. of being like, this is I want this so bad. But it's just like I just don't know exactly what to do. And I'm like tired of being in like this constant cycle of like just keep going just keep going just keep going um so i would say it kind of affects me more in a negative way than positive way which is also something that i've been thinking about and talking to a therapist about okay talk to a therapist y'all <laughs> i'm scared um for me i feel like mine is a little bit of everybody else's too kind of when it comes to my self-image like how you were like oh you have the eating right and picking mm -hmm. food from your garden and stuff i feel like it's obtainable like going to the gym and stuff like that and then for some people yeah right yeah uh, <laughs> it's just i feel like that is obtainable for me and i'm like oh, i know i could do that i just think that i don't know i feel like it's more of like inner stuff that kind of like challenges me because i'm very i don't know if i'm a people pleaser mm. maybe but i kind of I don't know. I hate conflict or I just hate like just being disliked by people or whatever the case may be. You but like it's like yourself. Yes, I do. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> I do. Um, I don't know. It's just I don't know. I feel like everything is like kind of like how I well, how I treat other people or the way I go about certain situations or like my feelings towards people and things like that. Like I feel like that's what I struggle with because in the ideal world I'm like how you said oh I'm happy and I'm I'm here for everybody and it's great but then I don't know I guess it's people's perceptions of me that messes me up because it's like how I don't know oh I don't know what this person is thinking or I don't know how this person is feeling and they're not talking to me or like what do I say what do I do so it's kind of like though I can be like this happy and happy-go-lucky person it's like what are you thinking I don't know that's what that's what gets me like the whole like because mm. I overthink everything so I, I want to know what you're thinking but I don't know what everyone's thinking. <laughs> Yeah. It sounds crazy. I if she had to it. have a superpower, it would be able to be like re remind. I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that though. Like that's the <laughs> thing. Like I don't know if I want to do that because it would make me nervous. I'm like I don't want to hear whatever I think because I'm gonna start crying, throwing up, something sliding down the wall. I can't do it. Uh, if that makes sense. This may come off wrong, so give me a second because uh, I'm trying to put it together. But I'll give you an example. <laughs> okay. I went to law school. Okay. And in law school, 
if you ask anyone, I, I would think, or at least this is what I was told, even my professors would tell me, I made everyone feel safe. Um, if I saw a stranger walking down the stairs with a heavy bag, I'd grab it and, and carry it for them. Any person walking through a door, I'd always hold it. So there was a seat that needed, someone needed to sit in, I would be the first to stand up and, and sit in back or stand up against the wall. I was the, one would describe like ultimate gentleman. Paid for things for friends, you know, if people were hungry, I'm feeding you study groups, I, I'm organizing them, all of this good stuff. I really had the reputation of someone who's just extremely giving, someone who's extremely nice and a really like gentleman, right? And I realized I was doing all of that because I didn't think I was. So my image of myself was that I wasn't a good person. So I needed to make sure that I presented myself in a way that was. And it wasn't inauthentic because, I, like, if you know me, you know, like, I love you when I first meet you. Like, I always say that people, it weirds them out. Like, humans deserve love, and I have so much to give, right? So that part of me is authentic. But me hypercorrecting and really trying to extend and overdo it because this concept of myself I didn't quite like, so I was trying to get everybody else to like me. And that's how I kind of found myself worried about what everyone thought in this image and this perception and being the guy in law school who somehow manages still to wear a three-piece suit while studying it to two o'clock in the morning and teaching in an undergrad or graduate program and doing all of these things and being there for everyone um, was because I thought I liked myself but I really didn't. There were aspects or pieces of myself that I thought weren't good enough. So I had to make sure the world saw that it was. Does that resonate? <laughs> um, a little bit, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll leave it there. <laughs> we'll leave it there. <laughs> Too free. She's a session. This is a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm we, we're just having authentic, open conversations, right? I hope it's okay. I hope it's okay. Sorry, if, if, of course, yeah. Hi, it is warm. <laughs> I have a lot of clothes on this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you said Deja earlier mm -hmm. that you overly attach to an ideal self or to the future mm -hmm. self. How do you know when you do that? Can you tell those that's listening? Like, what are some things that are really like? Oh, in this moment, I'm overly attached to this future person. And I can be present and maybe mm -hmm. I'll get to that future person. But this overly attachment or whatever you want to call, classify it or this hyper attachment yeah. to this future person is now causing me harm or detriment. Like, what are some tips that people can look out for? Well, I think one of like the main things that allows me to notice that is when I get into these moments where I feel like I'm doing everything I can, but I still feel like I'm not doing enough. But the people around me are like, oh, my gosh, like you're doing like such a great job. Like, I don't know how you're doing this. And mm -hmm. how are you doing all these things and like experiencing all these things? But it's just like me personally, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. So it's like I try to over plan with things that I can do that I think will like push me closer to get into that more ideal self. Um, and what do I trying to think of, like, what do I do to like avoid any like real issues? Mm -hmm. And honestly, I would just probably say take time to sit and reflect and like think about like what you've accomplished mm -hmm. and then also figure out what are like some smaller steps that you can take to kind of slow, not like slow you down, but to like allow yourself to pace yourself. Mm -hmm. 
because in my head I'm just like on go so like I'm constantly on overdrive because it's like I know where I want to be I know exactly who I want to be I'm just trying to get there um so just like allowing yourself to use things and find things that can like pace you mm-hmm. so you're not feeling so like people in people I oh, want to add people. to that um because relationships should be there should be utility in relationships this might sound mm-hmm. crazy but I definitely think if you're in my life um I am of use to you in some way yeah. and it doesn't have to be like a, ta- a, a monetary thing or anything like that but a lot of my friends can call me and they know if they're halfway across the world with a flat tire, I'm going to do whatever I can to fix mm-hmm. that flat tire in whatever time zone or issue is going on, right? Um, and I think that a lot of people in my world also know that if I'm down or if I'm dealing with something, I I would hope that you'd be there in whatever way you can to, to hold me accountable, right? Hey, I have a few friends that text me, today's Tuesday, did you go on that run? Like you got a PT <laughs> test, you know, coming up. You're supposed to make your rank in the military. You, mm-hmm. you know, you said you wouldn't retire, so this is what you wanted to do. So keeping people around, I think, people and things. Yeah. Does, do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I'm a little selfish, so I don't. Okay. I don't often <laughs> think about other people. Really? <laughs> okay. She's not that selfish as she says. No. <laughs> no. I, I tend to like just. I I don't know. I'm very. I don't know. I just. I don't know. I think she's a healthy version of selfish, though. I, I believe that's possible. Yeah. I always tell my clients to be selfish. Yeah. We can't really pour into anyone else unless we have something mm-hmm. to pour, you know? So, um, and that takes that takes a bit of selfishness or self-preservation or holding yourself first, however you want to classify it. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some things that have the, the biggest impact on your own self-image? This one sounds cliche, but I would say social media. I was okay. going to say the same thing. Okay. Oh my god! I was literally, I was like, social media. That's the first thing that came to my head. Okay. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's social media. I hate social media. Are you on social media? Yeah. I am, <laughs> and I actually went through this period when I graduated undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, my like, I use Instagram a lot. Mm-hmm. So my Instagram, when I was an undergrad, I would just post like really pretty pictures of myself, like top notch that I thought were perfect, all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I got to the point where I'm like, I want to post like about my life, like the stuff that I really do, like the stuff that I enjoy doing. So like I completely scratched that Instagram account, made an art Instagram account to where like I post everything that I like to do. So like art, I post when I go out, I post food, like I'm growing, like going into that space where like I'm enjoying, like I, I guess letting people see other parts of my life instead of this like picture perfect image of who I am. Cause there's so much more to a picture. Mm-hmm. So I've gotten to this space where like, I love taking pictures and videos. Mm-hmm. You can actually like, I'm always like, wait, oh, y'all, wait, I gotta take pictures. Doing it now. Yeah. What oh, was going on that, uh, <laughs> that made you shift that focus or that intent? I think, I don't know. I think moving to a new city kind of gave me that like confirmation that I could okay. do that and kind of like start over because I'd be around um, like a different environment and different people because the people that I follow on Instagram, like social media were people that I was around. Mm-hmm. So it's like I had felt like I had to uphold this image of myself that people knew me for. Um, oh. So once I kind of moved and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to see y'all ever again in my life probably. I don't really care to. Um, now I'm going into this whole new field of like art therapy. So it's like now I'm building my therapy identity. Like it's a lot of changes happening. 
So it's just like now I'm just carefree now, you know, post anything. So, so you had to physically move out of your environment to create an identity that wasn't what other people who had known you from the past still held for you. Yeah. What if you can't do that? <laughs> I don't know. That would be hard. Uh, I, I just feel like that gave me like enough reason to, to be able to do it. To, okay. Yeah. Before that process of the moving area transition took place, do you think it was more of like an anxiety, more of a fear? Um, what was it that keeps what would keep one or mm -hmm. would keep a person from going against an ideal or an image that everyone in their life has held from them thus far. So like for me, mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of friends that I've grown up with like 15, 20, 30 year friendships. And wow. I've always recognized that when we have the most friction is when I'm evolving. Um, like I'll go back and visit or we'll, I'll, you know, show up for a godson's birthday or something like that. And I'm a completely different person than that they were expecting. And that's, that comes mm -hmm. with some friction. And, uh, for me, it was just like, you gotta show up <laughs> the way I need you to, yeah. and I'm going to show up the way I want, or this friendship is going to be over. And I don't think I was brave enough to like, not go back to that image so, so like for a while when i went to college i'd go back home and visit my mother and i would default to my mother's child right i'm back in the home mm -hmm. she's cooking for me cleaning up after me whatever these things and i wouldn't say what i really thought about something going on in the family but eventually our relationship got some some uh strain because i had to start speaking up and saying no this should be different and don't cook for me, please, or clean up after me, like, you know, or don't wait for me if I'm going out, but you're, I'm not a kid anymore. You can go to sleep, like those kind of things. So what other than physically leaving your environment can help or what has held, what, what held you back? Would you have been able to move towards a different concept of yourself if you were still around those people who had those ideals and those thoughts of who you are or what your image was? Um, for me personally, being in that space, I think it was already kind of too late. Because, mm. <laughs> like, that those people I was, good. like, people knew me. I was there for four years. Like, and it's a small town. People know you for who you are. Mm. Like, that's 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 your image. So sometimes your environment doesn't allow you to change. Yeah. It may feel like that, yes. Okay. Yeah. I and you were that. saying how you were, like, going back home to visit home. Mm -hmm. I rarely went back home. I, d I rarely do now. I, I rarely. Um, I, I, yeah. Everyone comes to me, everyone. right? And and <laughs> even I think my sister was here, and she was like, every time I come visit you, you're a different person. She like literally said it. So that's kind of my requirement now because I move a lot. Well, I mm -hmm. used to. Now I'm more settled in D.C. Um, after military work and stuff like that. Um, but I, it became a point where I was like, nah, y'all can come to me. I'm not going back to the same place. Mm -hmm. Like you want to see a new country, a new city or whatever, I'll show you around. And, and I think that's how a lot of people learned now that I think about it. Yeah. So maybe it was removing myself from the environment too. Interesting. Thank you for sharing. No, that's all me. What are some things that you do to improve your self-image and the way you see yourself? Um... I would try to just be more authentic. Mm -hmm. um, and I do also 
authentic with who? Because I lie to myself all the time. <laughs> so, mean, I, so it's two parts. <laughs> I, I have to be authentic too, but... with those around me, and I have to be authentic with myself. Yeah. You know, in order for me to help with myself. Or, I would say definitely both, for sure. Definitely both. What do you think? Um, Wait, you want me to answer the first question or the second question that you asked? Uh, first question. First uh, question. What are some things that you can do to improve your self-image? Sorry. Um, I would say to, I don't know, channel who Lyric was before the world told me who I should be. Ooh, I like that. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> I love that quote. I love it. I love it so much. But she is a quote master. Like, if you need a quote, lyric board it, full okay? of them. Actually, I have it. Um, I think that was my thing because I, 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 when I first heard that quote, I was like, oh wow, like who was lyric before she, before the world told her mm-hmm. who she should be? And then I'm like, oh well, lyric's just like this nice, bubbly person. She's kind to everybody, and she's like slow to anger. You know, everything, kind of how, like, where childhood lyric was. Mm-hmm. That's what I try to channel. I try to channel her. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's for my Thank name. you. Mm-hmm. Any questions for me? Any questions? What branch of the military are you in? Army. <laughs> the best branch there is. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, how did you get into therapy? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> so I was a rebel in college um and i had gotten i i don't know i i knew i wanted to be some i wanted to be a psychologist actually i'm a clinical social worker and i was in a psychology program and i got kicked out because um i kept getting arrested and one time in the school actually um my mom is gonna kick my behind when she hears this <laughs> oh, there's something she don't know. Uh, this I don't think anyone knows this oh, besides oh, oh, the professor yes, specialty. who was there at the time and um, my mentor, and she's no longer with us. But um, so anyway, so uh, I was in a psychology program, got kicked out. I was always getting arrested, not for crazy stuff. Um, I was I was really heavy into protesting at the time. Uh, pretty big protests um, had taken place. I was the president of Nebraskans for Peace, um, and. Um, I, I was in jail, and I, a professor came and bailed me out, and she had informed me that the school thought that what I was doing was not in line with the that department, or some department chair had complained to the president of the school, and um, and that they were thinking of dropping me, and she's just like, you know, I think you'd fit into the social work program. Um, let me look. Let me tell you about social work. Um, let me uh, guide you, basically. She didn't say that, but she became um, a huge part of my growth and development and um, helped me. I never thought I'd be a therapist for a while. <clears throat> After that experience, I knew, I knew I'd be a senator or something or a grassroots organizer or a lawyer, which I later went to law school. Um, so... I got into the realm of social work because of this other social work professor who had saw something in me and was just like, that's actually what a social worker is, a good combination of mental health and how environment impacts mental health and social structures and, and systems. And this guy actually wants to challenge them and he puts his mind and his body on the line to do so. So she's just like, yep, you're coming to the social work department. Forget all these other you know, concepts about psychology or whatever, because they don't want you anyway. Um, come over here and and the rest was history um she mm-hmm. 
got me into my first internship, um, told me to go to law school or advised me to go to law school um, and kind of was like my guiding light for a while. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't want to cut you off. How did you incorporate law school into like the whole therapy um, counseling thing? So right now, I consider myself to be a social justice counselor. So if you work with me, we're going to talk about race, systems, biases, um, and how they impact people. And I always tell this story, like I have a client, a mother, who is working, but she only gets 30 cents on the dollars of, of her colleagues. And uh, there are all these systems in place to make sure that her children may not go to school or college, to make sure that her family structure is not intact. And maybe they've ended 30 years ago, but she's 50 and she lived through it, right? Or she's 60. And now she's getting to wanting to retire and all of these things that she presents as if she's depressed, right? I can, she can, we can come to my office and work on coping skills for depression and talk about how to change your behavior, which changes the mood, which then changes the mind, right? But if she goes back into an oppressive environment, what's going to happen? She's going to become depressed again, yeah. right? And we're creating this revolving door of these systems that impact the mind and body and then tell a person that they're wrong for feeling what they're feeling. So a lot of what I do in, does all that first part, the mental health and all of that stuff. But now I also counsel on the law, right? And talk about what structures need to be challenged and how to challenge them. And then uh, educate, psychoeducation, educate those on how these social systems are impacting your mental health. And it's not you. Because a lot of times what happens when we have... Um, a, a disorder or behavior or a symptom that presents, there's something wrong with me. I'm depressed and I need to get over it. Or I'm anxious and I, I'm a horrible whatever. We create these concepts for ourselves because of what we're feeling and what we're feeling doesn't make sense. But sometimes what makes it make sense is knowing that you're made, the environment makes you anxious. To be able to walk down the street with headphones on and not pay attention to what's around you is a type of freedom that a lot of people don't have. I can never do right? it. So <laughs> that is a heightened sense of anxiety all the time to wonder if your physical body and presence is going to be safe when you leave your home. That has nothing to do with you and everything to do with the system. So we talk about these things. And then my white people who still love me and come to me or, or that I walk, work with, I always explain to them that even though they don't experience racism, it still impacts them. Someone they work with, they work for, maybe it's Im impacting uh, 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 an employee who has a deliverable, but this deliverable she's getting um, usurped it all the time because she's the only black woman in this particular work environment. So folks aren't as easy to give her the necessary tools or research or whatever it is to deliver this product. If you open the door and, and level the playing field for those around you, you're going to have a better work environment. You'll have better outcomes, all of these things. Not that you need to reduce race and biases and sexism and all of these things to how much you're going to gain or how, what tangible outcome there is for you. But it has the same deleterious effect, if not sometimes even more, right? Because what is your concept of yourself if you're engaging in bias or oppression or racism, that means you don't think you're anything. Because if you have to hold on to your race to feel some sense of validity, that means you truly think nothing of yourself. Wow. Because I can stand on 
everything else besides my race. Yes, you're going to see my race when I walk through the door, but I have so much more to offer, right? But if I'm oppressing you or if I'm blatantly or not challenging the systems around me or that I'm actively participating in that say that your race or your sex or whatever it might be is a problem and I allow that to go on or I hold on to it to make myself feel better, it means I'm nothing. It means I don't think much of myself. And that is a disease, I think. That is a deep, dark-rooted type of depression that a lot of people don't realize they have. So that's my social justice counseling work. (laughs) That's good. Any other questions? Um, So since this is our first time meeting you and your first time meeting us and everything, Mm -hmm. like, is there something that you observed maybe that we maybe don't know or maybe like our first impressions of us or anything? See, that's that you wanted to know what people think about you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank I you for to... answering that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just wanted... He's a therapist. Today. I just wanted to know. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. What does that information do for you? No, I just was curious. Uh, yeah, but see, what see, would the answer curiosity. do for you? Never mind. No, seriously. What were the answers? I just was curious. Um, So to to answer your question, um, (laughs) he's a therapist. I I understand. Uh, I I was I was wondering. I was going somewhere else with that. But to to answer your question, um, I didn't have anything. I was just like, oh, two young kids, um, and hopefully it'll turn out well, and we can share some good thoughts and insights and. If it's not helpful to others, at least it'll be helpful to ourselves in this room, mm-hmm. you know. And that was only that was my only thought, really. Um, yeah. So, what were you expecting? I mean, yeah. No, no, I was just curious because oh, okay. I was nervous. Oh, okay. That's all. Was we talked about it. Dave was nervous too. Okay. I, I never said this. I was nervous. Yes, she mouth. did. <laughs> yes, you did. Yesterday? I asked you yesterday. I'm talking we were about on today. The phone. Mm. Oh. Is mm-hmm. those nerves gone now? Oh, yeah. Okay. Good. When you walk in a room, you don't have no choice but to suck it up. There you go. Okay. All righty. Well, tell everyone where they can find you. Um, right now, we have an Instagram page, thegrown.podcast, grown, G-R-W-N. Um, we also have our podcast on Spotify, and it's actually on Apple Podcasts, too, yes. which we haven't actually stated, but it's Ooh. on there. I listen to it on Apple. I know. Yeah. Look at you. Probably the one listening. Yeah, she did it. She does all like the logistics stuff. Okay. I'm okay. the creative person, yeah. so I do the works out. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, thanks for being here at the after session. Thank you for having us. Be Thank good you. to yourselves. This was great. You've been listening to the after session with Philip Lewis. I hope this time has been beneficial to you in some way. If you like some of the topics discussed, you can visit lewiscounseling.org and click on the after session. Or follow me on Instagram at the after session underscore. If you are interested in starting your therapeutic process or engaging in a protocol or technique referenced, please make sure you contact your mental health or medical provider. This podcast has been produced by Logan Wesley. You can follow Logan at onelawmusic.com or on Instagram at the number one L-A-W underscore music. Thanks for listening. Be good to yourself.